It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to the Jason and the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to have a lot of fun with this one because we're going to call up and phone a friend and talk with Tyrus. You know, you've seen Tyrus on Gutfeld and all kinds of shows, but Tyrus is uh, going to join us and really looking forward to that conversation. But we're going to give a hot take on the news and then, uh, you know, talk about the stupid because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, well, let's start with uh, a hot take on the news. Um, I had a chance to to speak with uh, Governor Pataki. Um, I was uh, guest hosting for Brian Kilmeade on his radio show, and Governor Pataki, the former three-term governor out of the state of New York, was actually in Ukraine, and his uh, foundation was helping to get aid and relief and supplies and, and you know, just doing his bit. Um, and I asked him about something, and I was so pleased to hear his answer I don't know if you saw this or read anything about it, but uh, Elon Musk, uh, through what he's done with SpaceX, has a thing called Starlink. Starlink is the ability to use uh, some of these satellites and whatnot that he's put up to offer the Internet where maybe you don't have some hardwired cable and that sort of thing. And what they decided to do was to deploy Starlink into Ukraine so that the people of Ukraine could continue to communicate get word and information out, be able to send emails and text messages and and uh, FaceTime and, and send videos. You know, it's often been the, the tactic of the military to go in and take out the energy sources, cut off communications. That's sort of textbook way, right, that the military goes in to invade and, and, and start the beginning of the war. I remember General Schwarzkopf, you know, back in the days of having to liberate Kuwait and everything that was done there. And it was just shock and awe. It was just literally went in, closed everything off, able to roll in, push back the uh, the Iraqis. It, it, it was it was amazing. But I think that one of the probably more frustrating things to Vladimir Putin and his inability to take over Ukraine, obviously causing all kinds of human toll and, and chaos and and problems for that country. But Elon Musk and deploying Starlink and providing this communication tool, I just can't say enough about him. And when I talked to Governor Pataki, he said it's absolutely amazing. Everywhere he went, people were talking about this and how good it was and how much better life was that they could continue to communicate in the midst of a war. So hats off to to Elon Musk. Uh, You may like him. You may dislike him. But for that one thing, I would hope we'd all get behind him and say more power to you because that is literally changing the world and doing so for a better, better way and uh, uh, just amazing. Uh, The other kind of hot take on the news that probably didn't get enough is yet again, Vice President Kamala Harris has had one of her senior people just leave and leave abruptly. Uh, This seems to be, as best I can tell, based on the foxnews.com article that I read about this, the 11th departure from the vice president's staff just since June. Now, uh, a vice president's staff is pretty small, is a pretty tight group. Senior person after senior person after senior person continues to go. This one happened to be Michael Fuchs, who's the, uh, uh, let's see what his title is here, but uh, he was the deputy chief of staff. And what's interesting is all of a sudden he's abruptly leaving but had no announcement about where he's going. It's not as if, hey, you know, I'm tired. I've done this for a little while. Now I'm going to go over here and do this. Uh-uh. It was just, hey, I'm leaving. I'm done. I, I'm tired of this. Uh, I'm out. But we've had, you know, the director of advance, the deputy director of advance, the communications director, the chief spokesperson, the director of press operations, the deputy director of public engagement, the speech writing director, the deputy press secretary, the national security advisor. What's the common denominator here? It's Kamala Harris. And this should be really concerning because 
These are prestigious jobs at the highest level. They're in the White House and working with the Vice President of the United States. And yet they come and go so fast. And yet another one. It, it is a flashing red light to say there is something fundamentally wrong there. You combine that with the word salads that she puts out, how she gets policy so wrong, her inability to communicate, and it just really does scratch, make you scratch your head and think, is she really qualified and able to do this job at that level? And she's got a tiny staff. What if you actually had the reins of the whole thing? And uh, Anyway, it's very deeply concerning. All right. Now it's time to bring on the stupid because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. I'm going to New Jersey, and based on this foxnews.com story, the New Jersey public schools are going to be teaching about gender identity in the second grade. So a lot has been made about, uh, oh, you know, Ron DeSantis, and he signed this bill, and all the misinformation, misdirection, and uh, all these things talking about what this bill in Florida does that it really doesn't do. But on the other end of it is what's going on in New Jersey. This is right out of the article. According to the standards, New Jersey students should, by the end of second grade, folks, second grade, understand the core ideas that all individuals should feel welcome and included regardless of their gender, gender expression, or sexual orientation. Another lesson plan for second graders uh, called Understanding Our Bodies tells teachers to instruct students that, quote, there are some body parts that mostly just girls have and some body parts that mostly just boys have. It goes on to say, quote, being a boy or girl doesn't mean you have to have those parts. But for most people, this is how their bodies are. Quote, most people have a vulva and a vagina or a penis and testicles. But some people's bodies can be different. Your body is exactly what's right for you, end quote. Second grade, folks, this is what you're going to be taught at your kids in New Jersey? This is where they're going to get after it? The article goes on to say, objectives for the second grade lesson include having children to be able to, quote, identify at least four body parts from female and male genitalia, and for students to describe, quote, what is important for them to know the correct name for the genitalia, end quote. All right, uh, I know those will be controversial subjects for some people, but I just think that's stupid stuff. And second grade, come on. You want to teach them young, but second grade? I don't know. Anyway, so let's go on because you know what? I have had the great pleasure of getting to meet and know and interact with Tyrus. You've seen him on Fox News. You've seen him on Gutfeld. Amazing man. And uh, I want to just get to know him better and his background and how in the world did he end up at Fox News? You know, you cross, cross paths with some people in your life and you think, wow, I'm, I'm better for that. But you just think they came from a little different background. So Let's give a call to Tyrus. Hello? Tyrus, hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. How did you get this number, Jason? You know, I was actually thinking before I dialed you, I thought, you know, they say when you go to school, you know, or you go to a job interview, where are you going to be in five years? I never thought I would be dialing up Tyrus and just having this call. So I, I am not revealing my sources. I was uh, the chairman of the oversight committee, but I don't give it up. I'm not telling you where I got the number. I, I too share your uh, never thought in five or 10 years that Jason Chivers would be calling me either. So we're both kind of shocked. Well, uh, well, I have to see you in the buildings. So I guess I can't hang up. So what's going on, man? What's up? How are you? <laughs> well, no, that's, that's very true. We, um, I think I met, first met you when I did Gutfeld and, yeah. and um, you know, I've seen you out there. You're a lot of fun, and uh, you got a beautiful family, by the way. I get to see them in the in the green room. But I, f I think one of the first things you asked me to do was to help tie your tie. Yeah. So, um, no, um, no dad in the house, and that's one of the things that you don't you don't tying ties is kind of passed down. You know what I'm saying? It's like either your dad or your grandfather or your uncle, and it was just me and my, me and my brother and my mom. So 
I never had that pass down, so I so I never really liked wearing ties. Not to mention, I have a twenty two inch neck, so <laughs> the tie is always short. You know what I'm saying? It's never long. It's always like just past my chest, so I look ridiculous in a tie. But it works with like a sweater vest, or when I button my jacket up. But uh, you had amazing. Your knots and your ties were phenomenal. Like, I have an eye for that. Like, there's certain guys you're like, wow, man, that guy's tie game is on point. It's like Charles Payne's suit game. Like, if oh. you, his suit game is un- unbelievable. I won't wear a suit because of Charles Payne because you, if you can't duplicate it or replicate it, I mean, you just, why bother? So uh, I went to the, I went right up to you and said, excuse me, sir, I know you uh, served and uh, you're used to helping the people, so if you could help a big person with a tie, I'd really appreciate it. And you did. You did. You did a phenomenal job. And uh, it was so good I was able to keep it like that, so I was able to use it several times on different shows without having to ask uh, strangers to tie my tie. So I appreciate that, man. Well, you know, I, it's hard to do on somebody else, so I, I put it on, then I loosened it way up, then we got it on you. I, you know, when I was in Congress, there were actually two members who grew up, uh, their family business was mortuary. And there was this guy named Steve Sutherland, who's a congressman out of out of Florida. And somehow we were talking about ties one day, and he was saying, yeah, it was exactly what you said. It was passed from generation. And he said, I still remember when I told my dad, hey, dad, I need to learn how to tie a tie. And his dad said, all right, come over here, lay down. And um, it, because it was a mortuary, the only way the dad knew how to tie a tie is it's laying down laying on, on the, the ground dead. Yeah, the, that's... <laughs> Jeez. Well, I've had a great experience with you ever, ever uh, since then and been on Gutfeld a few times. And, and I, you know, I just love your perspective. But I want to talk a little bit more about growing up. What was what was little Tyrus? What, if there was ever such a thing, where, tell us about little Tyrus and growing up. Because my guess is my growing up, your growing up, probably a little different. Yeah. So, okay. I, uh, I came out, I came out the womb in trouble. So, uh, <laughs> my father was a 19 year old brother from, uh, Lynn, Massachusetts. And my mother was a 15 year old runaway, uh, wow. white as the snow. And, uh, they got together in, uh, Boston, which at the time was illegal, believe that or not. Uh, and in, in modern times even, but uh, so they uh, so he could marry her. They moved to New Hampshire, which is, you know, hashtag deadbeat dad state of the world. Um, <laughs> guys go down there, hide from child support and stuff, apparently very libertarian state. But um, so I was born actually in uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, because that was the only hospital where he wouldn't be cuffed off or, you know, impregnating a, a minor. So uh, so we just started off on the wrong foot. And uh, unfortunately, uh, drugs and unemployment and those kind of things made uh, my biological father a horrible human being. Uh, There was a lot of abuse that my mother went through. And then when it got turned on towards me because I started trying to fight for my mother at four years old, and he didn't appreciate that. So uh, shortly after that, uh, she contacted her family. Her father showed up, blaze of glory, kicked in the door, of course. Uh, my biological father was out on a five day binge. So we had a little bit of a break and, uh, he took us away and we ended up, uh, moving still in Massachusetts, but, um, moving to, uh, his family home and they were on the other side of tracks And Boston, uh, at the time was very segregated. You know what I'm saying? Like every group kind of looked after their own, but they didn't. And it wasn't just black and white. It was like Irish, Scottish, you know what I'm saying? Like whatever you're. A lot of times we forget that like division is anything can also be religious and just where you're from and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it was a Scottish neighborhood, and uh, unfortunately, uh, he, I w- me and my brother weren't able to stay there. He basically gave uh, my mother an offer she couldn't refuse. She could get her life back together, uh, go to nursing school or something of that sort. But uh, to do that, she would have to move back home and she'd have to give us up. So and she made the, a tough decision. So we ended up going to like a foster care family for a while. And then I was there for about, I want to say four, four or five years that we were there. And then she eventually got her nurse's degree and moved to California and uh, wanted us back and was able to get us back. And then we moved to California. And then I was an East Coast kid in California. I was already setting my teams, diehard Celtic Red Sox fan. I'm in LA. It's the 80s. It's the biggest rivalry on the planet. So a lot of 
a lot of schoolyard fights and stuff, but I was uh, pretty scratched. I got in a lot of fights. But back then was different because when you got in fights, you became friends afterwards. That's how boys were. They'd be like a fight. Yeah. You get broken yeah. up, and the next day it'd be round two, and then you decided it, it turns into wrestling, and then all of a sudden you're friends, you know? So it was very different that way uh, than it is now. And uh, I spent most of my time on a bike riding all over the hills of California with my buddies. I think that was the gist of my childhood. A lot of uh, weird adventures and stuff. And uh, I was always fascinated by my kids having like parents and family members. It was always kind of like strange to me. But uh, I was the kid that like always spent the night. You know what I'm saying? Like I was, I had more dinners and family homes and, and more weekends and family homes. Like everybody always wanted me around. So that was a good thing. I guess that was a good time. But uh, so, so go back to the foster family. Um, I, you know, I just find these people to be saintly. The people that will step up and say, hey, we'll take this whatever situation on. We're going to help raise this child. Was it was it that kind of household that you hope it is where, hey, look, they're just doing everything they can to ta- help take care of this child? Or was it like more of a horror story, like, I cannot wait to get out of here. This no, is uh, well, it was a horror story, but it was a horror story for them in the beginning. I was... Uh damaged goods to say the least my father would he was very violent and he had passed the savings down to me so uh, one of the thing one of the sick things he used to do is you i don't know if you remember those play pins mm-hmm. those old giant play pins yeah him yeah. and his buddies would put their kids in the play pins and bet on fighting oh man and uh i i typically won but uh i had been in a lot of fights and i was very aggressive and I was very angry. I was very protective of my mother. So when they took, they kind of tricked me. They took me on a trip, um, and um, I went to uh, I went to the the house of my foster parents, and um, I walked in, and they it was they were they were a nice family. I was like, hey, how are you? They were so nice to me. I kind of felt something was up because they were like too nice. You know what I'm saying? Like I just right. met you, and like they're like telling me how nice my hair is, and like how tall and strong and, you know, handsome I am. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Nice to meet you too. And then they, um, they said they had toys down in the basement. So I went down the basement and they have, uh, they had two, actually they had three kids of their own who were older. I think the youngest one was like 15. She was their daughter. And then, um, one of their sons was getting ready to go to West Point on a hockey scholarship. And the other one wanted to be an actor. You know, it's always one in the family. right? Right. And, um, I went down the, into the basement and they had an Incredible Hulk toy, and I was like, oh, Incredible Hulk. And as I went to pick it up and look it up, the door closed behind me. And I was like, huh? And like the kids were sitting there, and about 20 minutes went by, and then the door opened up, and I came up, and like, where's my mom? And they said, uh, you're going to stay with us for a while. And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm leaving. My mom, I got to go with my mom. And so they had to deal with an extremely angry child for a long time, and it was – I talk about a little bit in my in my book that's coming out in, in April 26. They were trying to basically civilize, uh, for lack of a better word, a, a caged animal. Like I was aggressive. Uh, I had a mouth like a sailor. They were very. They were. Uh, they were Italian. Very um, religious family. Family values. The, you know the 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 husband. He worked. Two jobs. He was a Navy man. He drove a truck for Coca Cola. He cut hairs on the he cut hair on the weekend in the barber shop. I mean, he was a man's man. And okay. um, and she was not only did she take care of her own kids, she ran a daycare during the week for enlisted families who would go overseas and would go on trips. So they would have kids sometimes staying for like months at a time. So it was a kid utopia. It's just that I was just a monster. And, and you were mad. Uh, angry and, uh, you know, I couldn't understand the color of my skin was the reason why I wasn't with my mother. So I did a lot of self-harm, you know, with the Brillo pads and stuff, trying to change my skin color so I could get home. It was a lot. They had to deal with a lot. Bedwetting, nightmares, night terrors. I mean, they, they, any, any normal family probably would have tapped out, but, uh, you know, she rolled up her sleeves and even at her own peril, uh, they used to, they used to dress me up. And this is something that I, to this day, I, I always thought was, I think back of it and I just smile. They would dress me up 
in these day corduroy day suits to send me to school. The thinking was if they dress me up like a little gentleman, I might act like one <laughs> and not be a savage at recess and get in fights all the time. So they would dress me up. And I had this one suit, this corduroy maroon suit. I mean, this thing was – I mean, I was amazingly proud. And I had a clip-on tie that went with it, and I was I was looking the part. Now, back then, they didn't know what to do with my hair, so they kind of cut it in a bowl. You know, they just kind of, like, put it all around because I had that good hair, and if one drop of water got on it, it got all curly. So they really didn't know what to do – with my hair. So she did the best she could. She didn't have training with it, but she did the best she could. But I looked debonair walking out to kindergarten and uh, to get on the bus. But this suit, there was one rule. Like if I got into a fight or I roughhouse at school, if I got a grass stain on my corduroy suit, I'd get a spanking. And she was about four, ten, nine on a good day. Uh, she was small, but uh, in the house next to the Bible, they had two things. It was a spatula that was not used for food <laughs> and a a stick with holes in it and a, and a religious quote, don't spare the rod, spare the rod, not the child or something like that. And uh, we all understood what those things meant. When they walked to the fireplace, that was your ass, basically. Literally, <laughs> you were getting a whooping. And uh, so that was the deal. If I got grass stains on my uh, suits, I got a spanking. And uh, I was having a good day. I wasn't even fighting or anything. I was just having fun. And next thing I know, I, I think I slid on the ground or something. And I was sitting on the bus on the way home. And my friends looked at me. And they were like, ooh. <laughs> and I looked down. I had this huge grass stain on my knee. And I was like, and, quote, man, F-bomb on the bus. <laughs> I, I was seven years old, horrible mouth. I'm just telling you, horrible mouth. Like, I... It was a Richard Pryor cassette tape in my house, and I think I had it memorized by the time I was six. <laughs> so the plan was I'd get home, change my clothes, put my play clothes on, because those are the rules, and stuff them in the bottom of the hamper, and that would give me time, at least for the day. So I could go out and play and not be bothered with this spanking thing. I didn't have no time for that. But unfortunately, I didn't understand patterns and consistency, because my nickname was Tornado. Because I would come home and just drop all my clothes off, change, and she would basically just be picking up after me. It was like her routine. It was like whatever room I was in was destroyed. And then I would, she would pick up behind me. But today, I was phenomenal. I folded up my clothes, put them in the bottom of the hamper, put my other clothes on, and went outside without any redirects or anything like that. So she obviously knew something was up. And uh, I was playing, having a good time, thinking nothing of it. She went to the hamper. Grass stain. She comes out. Young man inside, I go inside and there was, we had, this is when you could put kids in the corner. So there was three kids in the corner from daycare that had messed up. My brother was one of them and he was in the corner and I think they were serving like seven minutes hard time and, uh, which is eternity for a child when you're stuck in the corner cause you can't look and it's just, it's, there's no internet or cell phone back then. So you're just, you're stuck with your own thoughts thinking about what you did wrong. When I was in there, I would be replanning and figure out what I did to not to do not to get caught next time. So timeouts really didn't work for me. But, uh, and then she went and she got the spatula and I was sitting on the stool and I was like, uh, you ain't spanking me. And she was like, you knew the deal. I told you what it was. You're getting a spanking. I said, I'm not getting spanked today. And she's excuse me. And as she, and the spatula had like a gleam, like a gleam to it. It like shined, like the light hit it just right. And it was like, ping. And I was just like, I'm not getting whooped with that today. So I picked up the bar stool. Now, I'm a seven-year-old, but I'm a big seven-year-old. And unfortunately, because of where I, how I grew up, I was pretty hand-eye coordinated, pretty savvy because I had to defend myself all the time. So I put the stool bar over my head, and she looked at me like, what are you going to do with that? And uh, I was like, I'm, I'm going to hit you. And she was like, I dare you. And, well, gee whiz, uh, I swung for the fences, and unfortunately I cracked her over the head and shoulders with a stool that shattered like it exploded, I broke her orbital socket and her collarbone, and uh, my brother just turned around and was like, oh, you're in timeout forever. Like, he was just, oh, yeah. man, what are you going to do? So I was like, I'm getting out. I'm gone. I'm going to run back home. And it's when you're an abused kid, you always seem to want to go. I didn't want to go to my mother. I, suddenly I want to go to my, my father's house for some reason. I'm not really sure what the thinking was. But I packed, uh, I opened the refrigerator. There was some devil dogs, a Capri Sun, 
and uh, I, I think like a, I grabbed like some pickles or some and put it in a backpack. Front door was locked. Couldn't figure out how to get it out because she had like a real cool child lock back in the day to keep the kids from escaping. And uh, I ran down to the garage where my older foster brother was studying for acting classes in Peabody, Massachusetts, whatever that was. And uh, he, oblivious to everything that was going on, his mom's unconscious upstairs. Kids are forming a revolution, and they're all raiding the food of snacks. And I tried to open the garage door. He's like, oh, sorry, bro. Let me help you with that. And I was like, <laughs> and he opened it up, and I was gone. Now, unfortunately, I didn't understand uh, geography because I thought it was just one street over. I would just go up the street, make right, a right, and right. there would be my grandmother's house, and I would be safe. It's a big world, and you don't realize it until you're running. Also, I wasn't as fast as I thought I was. Because one of the neighbors, back when the, when your neighborhood was involved in everybody's family and checked on each other and watched out for each other, saw a seven-year-old with a bag full of food running up the street. So he thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to stop gardening for a minute, and I'm going to see what's going on. So he jogged alongside of me while I was running as fast as I could. Again, I thought I was a lot faster than I was. They understand seven-year-old mentality. And uh, he basically said, hey, what's going on, bud? And I said, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm out of here. And he could tell, uh, you know, I was covered in sweat. And the, I had a couple splinters from when the stool exploded uh, on, like, the side of my face. And so he was like, hey, why don't you just come in my backyard for a little bit? Calm down. We'll figure it out, and I'll give you a ride to your, to your grandmother's house. And I fell for it. So I went in the backyard. But then when I realized that he wasn't getting me a ride, I climbed a tree. So I'm up in this tree. They can't get me down. They now realize that something's happened to uh, my foster mom. So the ambulance was called, the fire department was called, and uh, this is Peabody. So fire departments were, uh, the firefighters were like, look, I'll spray a little bastard down from the tree. Like, right, like right. Get, hey, get down. It wasn't, it wasn't feelings, it wasn't safe space. It was like, hey, get your little yellow behind down from this tree before we cut it down, you know? And I was like, go ahead. And I was just feeling my oats, but uh, it was so bad that they called her husband, and when he showed up, um, he just walked over the tree and said, you going to get down? And I just got down immediately. Didn't even right. think twice about it. And as, as I was walking up with him, uh, she was coming out on a gurney, had a, had a thing over her eye, and her shoulder was pretty and bad. And all she could say was, please don't hurt my baby. Please, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's not his fault. And for me, that changed my life. Like, just went from this monster to I did something really bad and she still loves me. And for me, that changed everything. Now, when I went into the house, he sent me to my room and he let me sit there for about three hours while I contemplated what death was going to be like. So I just assumed life was over. And then he brought, he came, it was a knock at my door, which was weird because I was used to doors being kicked in. So a knock, I didn't even have a, a greeting. I was like, huh? And uh, he said, come with me. And he walked down, uh, he took me down to the cellar and he sat me down. And he goes, we got a problem. He says, you put hands on my wife. And if another man, and since you want to be a man, another man puts hands on his wife, I've got to deal with that. And I'm like, uh-huh. And he goes, and, and not only that, you put hands on a woman, so you're not a man either. So what do I do with you? And he started taking his belt off, and he's like, "You're gonna get, you're gonna get a, you're gonna get a beating, because that's how it's dealt with when you put hands on people. You put hands on my wife. You put hands on. She takes care of you. She feeds you. You have no respect for anyone." And so I have no respect for you. And he gave me a whooping, which can only be described as the miracle round. But it was just, it was different. I understood what I did, why I did it. And I agreed that I needed a whooping for that. So it was the first time I was disciplined for the punishment fit the crime. I don't know that's people are going to be like, oh, you shouldn't spend. Like, that's the message. I got it. Like, and when it was over, it wasn't name calling or anything else. He literally let me get myself together because I always fought. I never wanted to cry. But, you know, after like eight, uh, you, you start crying. Like you, you think you're glory. Everyone thinks they're glory when they're getting a whooping, but you're right. really not. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then about an hour later, there's another knock on my door and he's got a couple bowls of ice cream. He's like, hey, come, you can come watch the game with me. So I learned what family was in the worst situation. And I was attached to the hip of this man. Like 
I couldn't go. He couldn't go anywhere without me. On the weekends when he went to the barbershop, I went with him. When he came home, I was waiting for him. Like, it was a bond. He would take me out in the front yard looking for frogs in the yard, knowing there's no frogs in the yard in Peabody, Massachusetts. But I saw him on TV. Like, he was, they were that kind of family. Like, we had dinner, structure, Sunday breakfast. Like, it was a, it was a family. I was playing uh, hockey. I was like, doing well in school like my life was had really turned around so um they went above and beyond what I would even call a foster family and at one point they were trying to adopt me and my brother but uh my mother stepped in and and we ended up uh they ended up letting me go letting us go to California but uh yeah most of my morals work ethic the few short years I was with them changed my life forever because I was on a fast track to just being another brother in and out of jail and angry and you know I mean I literally had already been arrested three times so and I was seven so I had a pretty good rap sheet when I was seven so when I mean detained at school taken in the back of a police car driven home you know that happened a few times so you know but they they really they really changed my anger and they replaced it with love and understanding and everything they did made sense to me and I think as a parent now, that's what I always try to do with my kids. When they do make mistakes, I try to make them understand. Now, obviously, times have changed, and you no longer whip with belts and things like that because it's not socially acceptable anymore. But the lessons are still the same. But I would argue uh, I, there were certain kids that, like with my kids, like my son in particular, if he does something wrong and I look at him and I'd be like, man, I'm disappointed, that fool will cry. And he will be like, Dad, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I was not that child. If you told me you were disappointed in me, I'd be like, well, I'm disappointed in you too. What? So we both said, may I go now? Like that did not work with me. Punishments, groundings, nothing. Because I was had a great imagination and I would be like having the time of my life in my room by myself. And they'd be like, "You can I have two more days? Just two more days. I'm building a fort. I got a lot of things going on. So those things didn't work <laughs> with me. Uh, luckily, my kids, although my seven-year-old, my daughter, I, she's a lot like me. And although I'm unable to... I've never, I think I've spanked once. The fear of the spanking is more powerful than the actual spanking, but timeouts, I see her little face and I go, she's marinating. She's not, she's not learning. But, uh, so yeah, uh, my particular case with my foster family was a life changing experience. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, like (coughs) saintly or the people who step up and deal with that and, change the trajectory of a life like that I, you just just can't thank those people enough you're listening to jason in the house we'll be back with more of my conversation with tyrus right after this the fox news rundown a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else your daily dose of news twice a day featuring insight from top newsmakers reporters and fox news contributors listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com so on your journey I mean, you had to be sad to have left, but you did you feel like in your heart, hey, it was just right to go with my mom? Oh, you, no. The conflict uh, was, what was that conflict like? Unfortunately for me, because I had been uh, rejected by my mother's parents, and I came from, been ripped out of one home, moved to another home, kicked out of another home, I was so hardened in certain ways that when they were trying, because they tried to make it a positive thing. I mean, they were heartbroken. Because they really wanted us, and right. um, they tried to make it a positive thing, a fun thing. But I right. was always able to see through that. But I loved them so much that I wouldn't let them know that I was upset. Hmm. So I. And this just, is how old again? How old are you? I'm, not, I'm eight and a half, nine at this point. I think nine. Wow. But I, uh, I could tell they were, you know, holding back because, uh, well, he was dad at that point. Dad was. A strong man. I mean, he was in the Navy. He was, he worked, he was a strong man. He had an anchor tattoo. I mean, he literally looked like Popeye. I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I'm not in you. He literally, I mean, his forearms were a little smaller, but I mean, it was pretty much it. I mean, he looked exactly like that guy. And for him, he was sitting drinking a sherry because that was his preferred drink. He'd have a sherry and smoke his pipe at night. And that's when he was having his sherry and smoking his pipe. You knew that was it was quiet time. That was quiet time. <laughs> but it was uh, the middle of the day and he's drinking a sherry and he didn't have his pipe. And his face was red like he had been crying. And I had never seen that before. So I re- immediately went into prote- I wanted to protect them. So I didn't want them to know that I was angry. And, you know, they said, um, 
the same thing, like, oh, we'll be in touch. You can come visit. It's going to be fine. This, that, whatever. And uh, once I got out there, even the trip out there was just my mother was supposed to fly back to get us, but she couldn't because she had to work. So she had a friend flying with us. I think it was like TWA or something. Right. And uh, so it's a strange, skinny girl who looked like I was almost as tall as she was. Uh, she t- tried to was going to teach us how to be brave on a plane. I was like, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I think I said two words to her the whole flight, you know, and I just wanted I was waiting to see my mother and uh, I was nervous to see her. And we get to uh, Sunland, Tahunga, California, and it looked a nice house on the outside. But inside it was like a bunch of roommates living together. You know, it was, you know, they, they partied on the weekends and they were like kind of hippie-ish and I was just like, uh, I just came from super conservative. Uh, everything has its place. And what is this? You know, and my brother was like, oh, these are toys. I'm like, those aren't toys. Those are pipes and straws and stuff. Like, don't touch that stuff. So I immediately right. was the was the parent again. So it was, my mother was young and she just, you know, she, I think she was leading with her heart. But I always think that, I always say this all, parenting needs to be a choice. When you force parenting on people we end up with horrible results and um she did the best she could but she was young you know what i'm saying and and i didn't really look at her like mom i looked at her like we're like buddies you know what i'm saying we're like Mm -hmm. friends and that that is never a good relationship so it was an adjustment and of course uh the first day i was there i called and you know and wanted to come home and they were so positive and supported my mother the entire time, even though I was like, and then my mother just got tired of it and, you know, just didn't allow me to use the phone to call them anymore and told me that they were paid to take care of me and they never, they didn't want me either. So, and it was a lot of that. And then, you know, I just, it just time went by and we just didn't speak again. But did you, do you have contact with that foster? I contacted them a few years ago. Um, I literally, from some crazy Facebook, something like that, back when I had Facebook, they reached out to me, and I was able to see them, and uh, my my dad was dying, so I was able to uh, see him one more time and um, say goodbye, and it was funny because he was, you know, when they get to that point, they drift in and out. I don't know if, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've experienced yeah, that. I have, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, and um, he kept, he, my nickname was Georgie. He used to call me Georgie all the time. So uh, he basically went back to like I had just got home from school. And um, so it was a really, really good moment, you know, and then he passed away a few days later. So I was able to see, spend, I spent about a week with him. Um, and then, good. Um, then good. it was, then it was done. And then I just, I'm not good at staying in touch with people. That's just something that I've never developed. And uh, after that, I just kind of drifted away. And then she ended up passing away uh, a few months later. And then uh, once that chapter in my life was closed, that was it. I didn't. I didn't keep in touch with the the kids or anything. And just I'm just not built that way. You know, it's like you're. Some things are great about you, but one of the things about me is that I don't maintain uh, relationships. Like uh, some of my best friends, we won't speak for years. And then we're just we're just able to, you know, come together whenever we come together and pick up like we we left off. But if we don't have that kind of friendship, then I I just don't stay in touch. I'm just not. Unfortunately, I could never unfix that. You know, it's different with my kids, but I'm just not a guy who like keeps in touch. It's just not not my thing. Yeah, but I I think that's great that you were able to go back and kind of say goodbye and. Yeah. Oh, it was great. It it was, if I would have missed out on that, I don't think I would have been able to kind of put my upbringing in perspective, you know, because you, you focus on the bad so much, you know, we always, people, we always focus on the bad, you know, we always talk about how we were wronged, And sometimes you forget that in those moments, there was good things happening to you that helped you get through them. And we focus on so much of the sad story and we don't focus enough on the powerful journey that was happening. Bad th- times happen. People are going to say horrible things to you, but it's your reaction that defines you, not what is happening to you. And he was he was my good moment through all that. And I look back on my life, and I wouldn't change it at all because I wouldn't have got where I am today had it not been for his influence. And the only way I would have ever been in in his world 
was that I came from a damaged world. So you can't, you have to look at things for what they are. And that's something that I've always kind of been like is I, ne- I never like to focus on the bad stuff. Yeah. Cause you know what? We have very different lives, but I guarantee you, you've got some horror stories too, you know, and everyone has a horror story. I mean, that's part of how we all got there. So I don't regret it at all, but I, like I said, I got lucky. Like I said, I got, I got lucky, you know, cause some people, it is a paycheck. You know, some people do take foster kids in for checks and, and things like that or their own selfish needs of being wanting attention. And, you know, I've seen it all uh, being a teacher and working uh, with delayed children who are often in foster care or in uh, group homes and stuff. You see a lot of that. But I, I got lucky. My whole theory is that I, I totally agree with you because, I you know, I get a chance having been on. A member of Congress and in Fox, and you know, you go out and get to speak to groups all across the country, and and that's kind of the one of the main themes I try to drive home is this idea that, you know, we all have a story, we all have heartache, we all have hard times, we just don't know what it is yet with each and every person, but right. everybody's got it. It can be, it can be something as dramatic as what you went through. It could be, you know, addiction. It could be health issues it could be financial you know i you just don't know what it is mental health there but everybody kind of i mean that's that's life and it's hard and it's difficult and and you do hope you you cross paths with that saintly person who can help mentor you and and um you know give you that help and direction and and i i look at these uh these kids and you hope they they hope they get it all at home but I also don't think it's all governments that should be doing it either. No, it's- I agree. Yeah, no, because at the end of the day, you know, it, it takes a village and it takes it takes people, not government programs, because they always get exploited. You know that better than anybody else. So yeah. there's always somebody gaming the system. That's why so- I always say parenting should be a choice, not a not a mandated. You know, if someone says, "Hey, I can't be a mom," there's people out there that can. You know, or a dad to. that wants yeah. to stay gone. You know, holding him down to child support and making and forcing him to being a part of something, I, I feel like does more damage to the kids than not being there. Because I never missed mine. Never once. Never once thought, oh, man, I wish this guy was here. But if he was constantly being in my world, you know, it would have been confusing. So right. I was glad that he was never a part because chances are I would have ended up just like him, sitting yeah. on a porch somewhere in Lynn Mass blaming somebody else for my problems. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more right after this. When did uh, when did you realize, you know, I'm a little bit bigger than everybody else in this room? Like, when did you start to realize, yeah, I got some uh, some height and some strength that maybe everybody else doesn't have? Probably when I always had to stand next to the teacher in the school pictures. I think that kind of tipped me off. They always put you. That's right. They put the tall kids right yeah. next to the the teacher, right? So it doesn't uh, look so different. Not fitting in the desk. That was fun. Um, <laughs> going to the store and they were like, "Nope, we don't have that size." That's always good. And things like uh, a neighbor, the neighbor had a flat tire, and uh, you know she was struggling. Her husband was older, and I think I was eleven. I just walked over and I said, "Do you want me to push it?" And they're like, yeah, right. And so I pushed their car in their driveway. And <laughs> as I walked there, the, I remember the guy goes, Jesus Christ, kid, who's your dad? <laughs> <laughs> and I just looked back. I said, the Hulk. Because <laughs> I, I said, the Hulk. And so my nickname was Little Hulk for a while in my neighborhood because I, you know, the only thing I didn't do was paint myself green. But Lou Ferrigno was my imaginary dad, you know, so – uh, he was that because I loved him. Uh, that show used to come on on reruns at night and stuff, and I used to watch it religiously because the Hulk was a good message. Like he he was a good dude, just trying to help people out. And if you piss him off, he'll break some stuff, and then he'll go back to being cool again. But in the ending, he was always on his own. That piano song or whatever. But I that song made me sad for a lot of reasons. Just because not only was it he once again was on his way. It was also bedtime. So, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. whenever I hear that song, I just, uh, I think, ah, yeah. oh, man, <laughs> man, because you're not staying up did, for Golden Girls. So, you know, you're going to bed. You're not- did you ever get to meet him? Yes. Okay. So I got to interview uh, Lou Frigno on my show, Nuff Said, on Fox Nation that's been in hiatus since the pandemic. But you know what? It's sometimes, you know, we went out, I guess I went out on top 
But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I inter- I got to, went to interview him, man, and uh, they it was I didn't care about anybody else. I said I need to interview Lou Ferrigno. And ironically, his son worked with me. Uh, I got his son a job. We used to lift at the same gym, and I had seen him a couple times, and he, he acknowledged me. He gave me a head nod, and when Lou Frigno gives you a head nod, it's like, that's all you need. Like, in the gym, like, you have just been christened. You know, you belong. So uh, it was, uh, was kind of cool, but we just started talking. I was supposed to ask some questions about it, but we just went off, and we talked about family, and he told me the story with his dad and his issues and stuff. And then, you know, I kind of was told him, like, yeah, I feel it. And he's like, oh, you had the same relationship with your dad, which, yes, I kind of lied to my idol a little bit. But it was like I, he was opening up, and I was not going to stop it. Right, and, right. You know, because – and it was just like sitting under the learning tree. And uh, it was supposed to be like a 20-minute interview. It ended up being like two hours. I met his whole family. Uh, I follow him on Instagram and Every time he likes something of mine, I'll take a picture of it, send it to my friends, like, boom, look, look, y'all. And so uh, he he was an, – and then it's always nice when you meet your hero that he is exactly who you thought he would be. Right. right and that right. was an amazing thing about Mr. Ferrigno was that he was exactly how I imagined he would be. And, uh, you know, he was a big part of my childhood in terms of giving me – Courage, and I think it would have been terrible if I would have met him and he like had a cigarette in his mouth and he was like, "Hey, kid, yeah, I'll do the interview, but it's gonna cost you two hundred bucks." And uh, sold right, me right. a bunch of Hulk swag. That would have sucked. But he was a great family man, and uh, I was really, really honored to meet. He him. comes across like that. I mean, he comes oh, across as just a great guy. I he, mean, there is just... no BSing in him at all, and yeah. uh, he has paid his dues. He is, he has, you know, he's he dealt with being partially deaf. He dealt with. Um, you know, uh, a really, really verbally abusive father. Um, and so, and he was able to turn in all of that into, and he, he was competing, he was competing on the main stage with Arnold. And there was a lot of us who believe watching that documentary over and over pumping iron, kind of feel like he won kind of yeah. just putting it out there. But <clears throat> Arnold was again, Arnold Schwarzenegger, another favorite of mine, but, uh, Lou was just something – it was just – he was just more relatable because Arnold looked like he never had a bad day in his life. You know what I'm saying? Like like he just came out and everyone was like, oh, this guy is it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. like he's never had a bad day. Yeah. Uh, even when you think it's a bad day, somehow he turns it around to where it's not a bad day. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, where, where uh, Lou was like he was perfection in, in the bodybuilding world, but you just could relate because he didn't start that way. So I think that's what the the extra connection was for me with Lou Ferrigno was just that yeah, he that's... he started small he had, he had a disability he was picked on for it and uh, he turned that into something powerful. Now you I mean you found your way into to wrestling, but then somehow you found your way to Fox News. How yeah. in the world did that happen? Bruh, I'm still scratching my head. Um, basically. Uh, I met Greg on the internet, so it just sounds weird when I explain it. But yeah, we met on the internet. I, apparently, he swiped right. So <laughs> wait, wait, you gotta explain that a little bit. Wait, you guys are on Tinder. What no, was going I wasn't on? On Tinder, he might have been. I don't know. He's. <laughs> I was. Uh, I had just got out of the. I was just. I just got released from the WWE, and I just signed with uh, Impact Wrestling. And uh, there was a. It was a tweet, a red eye tweet, or something, and I wrote a comment to somebody who was. Somebody said something really foul, and I made a joke about it, and apparently Gutfeld liked it. And then he said, hey, that was funny. And I was like, cool, all right. <laughs> and he's like, hey, I got a show called Gutfeld. And I was like, yeah, I think I've seen it once or twice. And uh, I'd seen Red Eye. I mean, who hadn't seen Red Eye? I think right, everybody right. at an airport or a doctor's office at 3 in the morning seen Red Eye. <laughs> so, uh, And that was weird. And so I based off that and this random te- uh, this random message from him, I was like, all right, this dude's weird. He's like some guy who thinks he's going to like have a wrestler come down and body slam him or something weird like that or like hey you mind choking me out on TV I'm like ah oh, man but uh, I thought it would be good ex- I thought oh it's you know he asked me to come on the show and I was like man why not it can't hurt and then my boys are like Fox News <laughs> like I was like yeah there's this comedy show on Fox News and they're like Fox News 
Bill, o, Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity Fox News. I was like, yeah, oh, hell no, dog. It's a trap. It's a trap. Don't go on there. It's a trap. And uh, I was like, well, I mean, if they if he tries something, I'll just knock his ass out on national TV. I mean, it's he's, he's like four feet four or something. I'm not worried about this little leprechaun. And I'm like, I was going to go on there just to defend wrestlers. You know what I'm saying? I went on there right, like right. he's trying to bring me on there and he's going to try to make fun of me. Oh, he's unmessed with the wrong one. Like... Ooh, he done messed with the wrong one. He doesn't even know what I'm like in the locker room. I take no prisoners. So uh, I was skeptical. And even when he invited me, I was like, yeah, right. Okay, bruh. Sure. And then uh, he's like, I'll have my assistant call you. And I said, great, I'll have my assistant call her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I did, and <laughs> have your people call yeah, my people. Full, full yeah. disclosure, I did not have an assistant. Still don't. Um, so when uh, Joan called and like, hey, here's your travel, I was like, wow, this dude's maybe he's not so, uh, and I came on the show and <clears throat> we just, we shook hands and we were talking and he's like, how you want to do the intro or whatever. And at the time they had a door He came in through this door of, okay. of the Gutfeld show. And he was like, Hey, wouldn't it be great if you carried me through the door? And I was like, here we go. Uh, I knew it. I knew it. So I was like, all right, man. Yeah, I got, I got you. I'm like, man, damn it. I just knew it. I knew it was going to be creepy. But I did it, and then we came down, and, and I sat in my chair, and it was like Cat, and I think the Joan was the other co-host, but they were looking at me like I stole something. You know, I was like, everyone was looking at me like, "What is this? We got <laughs> like, Shrek." Like, wait a second, on like the I show stole to, something. Yeah, like you're like Shrek is in the house, ladies and gentlemen, and he does not have the donkey with him, so he is not not fun to watch at all. So. It was just kind of awkward, and then he asked me a question about Royal Grande eating donuts, and I made a joke about it, and the commercial break happened, and he was like, hey, man, you're pretty funny, man. You, uh, if you lived in New York, I'd make you a co-host. And I said, well, I don't live in New York, and that's not happening. Uh, he says, well, what about once a month? And I was like, seriously? He's like, yeah, you just come on once a month. I was like, yeah, I'm thinking this is great for me, and I was like, all right, cool. This was fun. It wasn't as evil white supremacist Fox News, as my homeboys told me it was. Right. And um, so I was like, all right, cool. And then just kind of, you know, and he actually was true to his word. Once a month I come on and then I came on and it was about we had the we had a, a series of videos about police brutality coming out and all these uh, protests and stuff going on. And uh, I was coming on the show and he wanted me to he was going to ask me about it. And I was really apprehensive because I was kind of stuck. Because I have had wonderful experiences with police officers, and I've had horrible ones. Mm-hmm. I've had a gun to my head. I've been zip-tied for no reason. Like I've, I've been pulled over just because I had my car impounded, just because I, I, I didn't answer the way he liked it. you know. And then I've had officers who literally like your taillights out and gave me, told me where to get it done and you know, this, that, whatever, or I had a flat tire, and they pulled over and be like, hey, can I help you? So, I mean, I had, I had been through both sides of it. And I had friends I played ball with that ended up being cops and stuff. So I kind of really didn't want to pick a side, you know. And right. uh, and for one was because, well, publicly as a brother speaking on behalf of the police department, and then I got to worry about being called Uncle Tom and all this other kind of stuff. And then if I go the other way, then I'm militant. And, you know, then I got to worry about police officers seeing the, the show and being like, oh, wait till I pull his ass over, you know. So those are the thoughts going in my head, and I actually just kind of started researching stories, and uh, I actually reached out and called a few different cops and talked to them and got their takes on things, and then I felt really confident. like I I was prepared for this, and I said, you know what? I'll just decide in the moment how I'm going to go with this. And um, when he asked me the question, and I just – I remember I said it comes down to compliance, you know, and – I was talking about, I I set it up, I talked about, you know, how I feel when I get pulled over. I'm imagining this is how they feel. Uh, I went through the whole thing, and at the end I said, you know, if you have a warrant and they find out you have a warrant, prepare yourself. Like, you're not, resisting arrest does not make you Rosa Parks, it makes you a criminal. I said there's a difference between compliant or whatever. And if it, you know, and I just put both sides of it on the table, and it went viral. And it was the biggest, most, I think it was like 5 million. Or it was some crazy number. And I get a call a week later. Greg was like, hey, I'm fi- I'm pushing for you. I want to get you 
uh, a deal, and I, I want you to be a regular member on the Greg Gutfeld Show. And I was like, yeah, right. But I was like, yeah, cool. You know, it's just one day a week, Saturdays, why not? And, you know, Greg fought. I mean, can you just imagine that board meeting? <laughs> I mean, can you just imagine that meeting? All right, Gutfeld, what do you got? Okay, I got this uh, six-foot-eight tatted kind of black guy. He's light-skinned, but he's black. Uh, he wears a hat all the time. He doesn't wear suits. He kind of cusses a little bit. He lifts a lot of weights, but he's really good about talking about political stuff. <laughs> so I think we need to pay this guy some money. I'm, he's lucky he didn't lose his job. Like, Gutfeld's drinking again. Like, so, and lo and behold, I think the funniest thing was, and I, it's, it's water under the bridge now, I was making about, like, 50 uh, a year at TNA. And because they only filmed once a month. And I was doing indie shows to make up the difference. So I was working myself to death. And Greg just walks up and goes, hey, uh, how much are they paying you at uh, Impact? And I was like, $110,000. And he was like, <laughs> okay, what's uh, so like 120 Will that work? Yeah, I think that'll be cool. I think that, I think I can make that work. I have to check I the numbers. I, let me I check, can with check my the people. numbers. Yeah, you know, and uh, I'll let I'll let you know. And uh, and as I walked away, I just kind of looked back. I was like, he went for it. Cool. His <laughs> brother was in trouble. Like there was was getting some phone calls from people. Like, yo, where's the light bill money? Um, kids need clothes. So it really, really uh, saved my life in a lot of ways in terms of like uh, because as an actor. It's like in a wrestler, it's like peaks and valleys. You're either working all at right, once, and then right. you could have ghost town for months, and then you'll start working again. So it added stability to my life, and uh, it was something that I was uh, I never thought – I never saw myself doing it, and we just grew. And then I started getting calls from other shows, and I was just like, what? Outnumbered the five? Like, okay. And so I started doing different shows, and, and next thing I know, I'm a Fox contributor, and – I find myself spending less time watching wrestling film study and more time film studying politicians and digging up uh, stories and looking for sources and trying to you know, reading over the Constitution and just really just diving in. Because I, I, here's the thing. Whenever you're given a new opportunity, the hardest part is getting it, but the, you don't realize what's even harder is maintaining. And okay. the only way you maintain something is you constantly improve. You cannot ever get to the top of the mountain and be like and pull out a lounge chair be like, I'm cool because there's people climbing that mountain too. Yeah. So I've always treated whether it was football, wrestling, bodyguarding, or Fox News as a competition. And I'm trying to win every show. Like I'm I I want to I when fans are like, whoa, Tyrus was on fire tonight. Tyrus nailed it tonight. Tyrus did it tonight. Um, you know, and I was also really lucky. Uh she's not with us anymore, but Holly, when she was the executive producer for Fox. She held me to the fire. I mean, she found something wrong with everything I said. And I love that because constructive criticism, like you said this right, but you could have phrased it this. Like she never told me what to say or how to say it, but she was always there. It was like having it was like having a coach, just like in sports and just like in wrestling. It was like after the show, I would come back and be like, any, 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 you got anything? A couple things, you know, even things like. You got to look at the camera more. You know, don't look away. Like you're you're posturing, you're sitting, uh, this, that, whatever. Don't wear your hat too low. Like it was just things that I continued. And the good news was that she never had to tell me something twice. So I always Arn Anderson, who's a uh, was part of the Four Horsemen, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. When he was my coach uh, and my agent in the WWE, whenever I made a mistake, he says, "I don't mind you make a mistake. You just can't make it twice." And I was like, "Got it." Yeah. So uh, that's kind of been my motto uh, for TV. And like I've. I had my mistakes. I had my one glorious moment on Gutfeld when I uh, when Busgate happened with uh, Trump and, and Hillary. Yeah, and I just said, "I'm out. I'm not voting." Like I don't know which oh. way. Like I'm done. <laughs> like I'm not voting. Wipe my hands. And Holly was like, "Yeah, that's not really the message that we want to put out to Americans when you don't like something, not to vote." Yeah. So uh, we're gonna sit you down this week. <laughs> like you're gonna stay home. And uh, I didn't understand it at first. You know, I was kind of like, what? No, I, you said I could speak my mind. She's like, yes, but the, you still have a responsibility. And I didn't get it at first, and I was all mad and, you know, blamed them. And I was, you know, because I'm black, right? And she's like, no, because you're an idiot who just said that <laughs> you're not going to vote. And if you, that's something that we just don't want to promote. We want everyone to vote, you know. And, right, right, right. And uh, I, 
it was a lesson, and that's when I realized that even though I can say whatever I want, I have a responsibility in the words that I say. So it's not just fly off at the handle and say things for reaction. Is understand that there are people who watch that my words, and I don't know how this happened, but my words mean a lot to them emotionally, and they treat it like facts in some cases. So uh, I, that responsibility was something that I had to really work on in terms of like think before you speak, and it's hard for a guy who blurts. So I started to really take that under control. So I ended up – I was off for the week, right? My hand had been slapped, and I was going to sit home for a week. But uh, it was the first time I had a week off in a long time, so I went on a vacation, right? I went to the Cayman Islands. And uh, as I was walking past the bar, out from the bushes jumps Osama bin Laden's assassin. And I was like, what, bruh, what are you doing? He's like, what's going on, man? I was like, Nguya, what are you doing? I was like, you can't do that. You cannot jump out (laughs) at people. Like, you're not allowed to do that. And he was like... Oh, sorry, man. I didn't even think. Of, yeah. I'm like, the Fox send you. Is this how I'm going out? This is because I said I didn't want to vote. So they're going to send you to do their dirty work. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I told him what happened. He's like, oh, and then you thought that I was going to. He's like, no, nah, I'm not packing, bro. I'm not packing. So we had a beer and I was like, wow, it's crazy that, you know, of all the places you would just show up. So he's uh, a great guy. Yeah, he's, he's a lot of fun. I, I'm, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, All right, so jumping out of bushes at people. I, I, not there's cool. stories. I mean, I could talk to you for hours about being a bodyguard, right, and doing that whole I have thing. I do but, a part two, man, because I got. Uh, I know, yeah. but what I'm saying is, tell me about your tell me about your book you got coming up. What what what? Well, you kind of got most of it in today. I mean, at least chapters three and four are done. Uh, it's a memoir of my life, but it's more about how I've learned to use accountability and focus on my reactions opposed to. The person who or the situation, the circumstance, whenever something bad happens in your life, you need to remember it's your reaction that you're judged by. What, what's it called? What's the uh, book? Just called? Tyrus. Just Tyrus. And it's, and it's out when? April 26. Well, that's coming up. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's coming it's, up. It's, yeah. And it's weird because I just got a box of books and uh, my face is on them. And I just feel really weird walking up to somebody. Like, hey, I know you know me, but you need to know me more. So here. Read read my book. So it's uh, I'm no not, people. They they. I think they. I think it's going to be wildly successful. People want to hear more, and and you have a different story, and it's a hard story, and people can, um, you know, my story. Like I said at the beginning, it's a little different than your story, just and, uh, but yeah. yours is much more um, dramatic. I much more. I mean, it's just it's an amazing story, and I think it buoys people up because it seems to have such a great happy ending and your life's continue. You're going to have hiccups. You're going to have hurdles. You got to overcome just like, you know, the title of your book here. But, um, it, I, I think it'll inspire a lot of people. So I'm excited about that. Tyrus, I got to ask you a couple rapid questions as we, uh, we wrap up. Cause you know, you've wrestled the biggest and the best, but you haven't answered these questions yet. And I just got to go rapid fire. Are we cool with that? Let's do it. All right. First concert you attended. Bruce Springsteen. My mother took me at 13 because she used to be his groupie a few years before. He gave her free tickets whenever he came to town. It's awkward. <laughs> All right. I, I was not expecting yeah, that answer, but that's I, interesting. I met him eating a bowl of cereal on my couch when I was younger, so it was awkward. I was like, hey, that looks like the guy that – oh, no. Okay. Why am I here? Next question. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Did you ever have a pet growing up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, some uh, more everything that crawled. But I had a dog named Zapper and Trapper, and uh, they used to accompany me on my bike on adventures. But I've had snakes, and of course, my obsession with fish. Uh, I've had a fish tank probably since I started when I was ten years old, and now I have uh, about thirty of them, uh, and lots of reptiles and stuff. So I've always been. I was a zoologist major in college until I realized that I had to cut them up all the time, and I just wasn't interested in uh physiology aspect of it so uh but i'm a sir david attenborough uh nut job so uh i belong to dolphin project so yeah pets i like pets more than people honestly yeah i i i could sit and watch documentaries on animals and when i want to get away and clear my head and go do something and not think about the world or any of the problems or anything else i like doing wildlife photography so i go out grizzly bears I, I would love to take you out. Go up to the Tetons, go out to Montana, Utah, 
uh, and certainly Wyoming, and you know, grizzly bears, elk, moose. Moose are so aggressive. Moose are more dangerous than bears. And, yeah, elk are rough too. But uh, yeah, and I just bought land. I bought land last year in Montana. I got twenty one acres out there. So I'm oh, good I'm, for you. I'm planning it. I'm as soon as I get some time off, I'm gonna go dig a well. So what? Uh, so when you want to clear your head, you want to get away from everything. Just what do you do? I go sit in front of my fish tanks, and uh, and I just zone out there and then whenever i gotta think something through or i'm or i'm struggling with something i have a d- big decision i'll go out there and and uh contemplate it uh, while i'm sitting in front of my fish and just kind of it just re- it just said it just it's a really relaxing state um and it's something i just i usually make my best decisions in that room that's good that's really good all right uh, uh pineapple on pizza yes or no yeah why not oh come on judges you were doing so well, but the judges don't like that answer. What judge? Where, where they live at? Uh, I'm just telling you, it's part of the the crew that I run with here. Well, you don't put a wet the... fruit on your on your pizza. Oh, but pepperoni is better, or yes. sausage, mushroom, a mushroom just makes it that much better. Even black olives is not wet, sopping wet okay. pineapple. Well, I don't know what kind of pineapple you've had, pal, but uh, if it's cut up and paired right, it's phenomenal. And uh, it's, it was a big deal in California, so. If any of your crew wants to come take the pineapple off my pizza, they can try. <laughs> I'll take that under consideration <laughs> yep. and share that with the other judges. Yeah, let but... them know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, best advice you ever got? Uh, don't make the same mistake twice. Yeah, it's good you talked about that. Yep. And you're Arne limited. Anderson, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyrus, thank you so much. Look forward to your book uh, coming out on the 26th. Uh, just Tyrus, right? Yep. Uh, thank you so much. Hey, uh, look, anytime, I- man. I'm glad we've crossed paths, and I hope we do it again soon. And But thanks for joining us on the Jason in the House podcast. I, I really do appreciate it. Oh, it was no a lot problem, of fun. man. Anytime. Wow, that story with Tyrus and the, being brought up, and uh, uh, the world's a better place because of foster parents. And I know there's been some maybe that don't live up to the standard and doing it for all the wrong reasons. But for those foster parents who actually do the right thing, and pour their heart and soul and do the difficult thing of helping to raise a, a child that's uh, uh, that they weren't the biological parents of. Uh, I, more hats off to I. It, it's just amazing stories. I've seen them up close and personal and seen how these kids react and the families that do these things. Um, and I just, I can't think of enough. And I look at Tyrus's life and hear those stories and the impact that he met and, and the emotion that you could hear in his voice that was really inspirational. So, Tyrus, more power to you. Uh, I'm glad to know you, and, th- and I really do appreciate uh, uh, him joining us on the Jason in the House podcast. Hope you can rate it. Hope you like it. Hope you subscribe to it. We'll have more interviews. Uh, hopefully, they're as good as is Tyrus's story. You can go over to foxnewspodcast.com if you want to see some others, but rate it, review it, like it, subscribe it. We'll be back with more next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.